0: Well, if you didn't know, for much of my childhood, I grew up, especially during summers, visiting the little island known as Puerto Rico. Where many of my family members live and still live, I have many cousins that still live there, and I would typically go to visit my grandparents. I had a set of grandparents that lived on that small island, and I remember every now and then my parents would come on that trip to Puerto Rico, and sometimes they would just send my sister and I alone, and what different times that we live in that my parents would send a 9 and 12-year-old off on an international flight to a different country by themselves Uh, but every now and then my parents would come on a trip and I remember what would be typical for us is we would travel around the island and, and believe it or not it only takes a few hours to make your whole entire way around the island and we would stop all along the way and specifically we would stop visiting different people. Well, I remember one particular day we were visiting a number of people and if you don 't know anything about Hispanic people is they have three different phases of saying goodbye. They start by saying goodbye in the home, then they start by saying then they say goodbye again in the driveway, then they say goodbye a third time while they 're in the car and it 's a very long experience to say goodbye and growing up as a little American kid. In a situation like this, my sister and I typically just look at each other and say, for the love of God, we've already said bye 30 times. Let's just go. Of course, we were never entertained in these moments. And I would oftentimes, as we would leave a family member's home, ask my parents, how do we even know them? And my dad would say, oh, they were my third cousin. Why are we visiting third cousins, is what I would think to myself. Uh, But one thing, regardless of uh, visiting those family members, I appreciate is, at least within my own family's life, the desire and the value of community. Community is a very important thing, and I think in this day and age, in some ways, we have lost its value in our lives, specifically among younger people that form communities not through the relationships that we have face-to-face or even within our own church, but rather the community, the false sense of community that is now developed through social media or other online platforms. But really, what I want to take time today to discuss is the power of community and why community and the word connect is one of our discipleship values that you can see up here on the screen. Because I believe that connecting is so important for the health and the heartbeat of our church. And in some ways, this whole entire topic of connect could really have fit well with our series that we just finished on questions for God and asking the question, do I need to go to church to be a Christian? Because you see, many people believe that faith, at least Christian faith, is a private experience. That we don't need to necessarily be connected and in communities with others in order to have Christian faith faith and in some ways it might be true that your faith is a personal decision but i would say to anybody listening today that god is calling his church to live in community so in order to do that i'd like for us to crack open our bibles to romans chapter 12 which lydia had read the scripture reading earlier today and uh I want us to look at this passage because I think it is so powerful as we think about community. And I think at this point already, we've already hit on Romans 12 a number of times. Uh, and I, I just believe that it's such a powerful chapter within the book of Romans that teaches us so much about discipleship. So if you would, read along with me quietly as I read aloud. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's what we talked about week one for this series. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And now we'll put on the screen verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Now, take some time to read this and grasp what is coming next. Because I think as most Americans, we cannot understand the terminology that we're about to read right now. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. That's a really, really difficult concept for us to grasp as Americans, is it not? That whole idea of not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to, and that in fact we're to think of others more highly than ourselves, and that we need to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Why is Paul writing these words? If you didn't know, and I'll put this hopefully map on the screen for you, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans while he was staying in the town of Corinth, and so Corinth is just down there on... um, just just by, by the gulf right there, and he was writing it to the people in Romans. So he was writing to them during that time in order to help encourage the church to better get along, because you see there was this issue that was going on in the Roman church where Jews and Gentiles were battling it out with each other. Because the Gentiles weren't following the same Jewish customs, they were in some ways given a second status, if you will, within the church. Where they were maybe included within the church, but they were second-rate citizens. And in many ways, Paul was trying to help bridge the gap between these two people groups, between Gentile people and Jewish people, to see each other as brothers and sisters. So even in their day and age, Paul wanted to encourage them to understand that you should not think of yourself more highly than you should or than you ought to, but rather that you need to think of yourself soberly. I think that is a hard, hard concept for us to get in a day and age where we live by the slogan of have it your way. Right? You know, one of the things that I'm sometimes fascinated by is things that trend online. And one of the things that I've seen trending online recently is this concept of what's called um, main character syndrome. Have any of you ever heard of this main character syndrome? Well, what it is 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 when somebody sees themselves in this world as the main character and every other person is a supporting actor to their role. And if you haven't seen this online, we all know that you've experienced this a time or two in life. You know, it's that situation where you go into a restaurant and you're trying to have a wonderful meal maybe with your, your spouse and while you're talking romantically to each other, you hear... And you hear all this noise coming in from the booth next to you. And what's going on? Someone's just loudly playing music from their phone. Or they're having a long conversation with speakerphone on as you're trying to enjoy a meal with your wife. I know this has probably happened to some of you. If not, maybe it's been a situation where you live in an apartment complex. And your neighbor's think to themselves that they must be the only person that lives in that entire apartment complex. And of course, what do they do? They keep the music on too loud, and they're just obnoxious over things, as if they are the only person that exists. Well, for many of us, this is just what it means to be American, right? To be the main character within our own lives. And I think that is what Paul is trying to get at here. He's trying to help us understand the importance of letting go of ourselves being the center of our own attention. You see, I think part of what this series is trying to accomplish is we need to understand that life together is so important and crucial to our Christian walk. Life together is so important and crucial to our Christian walk. Paul continues here in verse 4 by saying, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You see, we as a church form one body together. One of the things that fascinates me, and Fran, I'm sure you're probably more attuned to this now, given the procedure that you have, is just how the human body works, the fact that just every single heartbeat is something that takes many, many, many motions in order for a single heartbeat to happen. And I think we all can appreciate how our bodies need to run in unison in order for us to live, to be able to breathe, to have Life. And in the similar way, Paul wants us to be able to think about our bodies and the many functions that our body has as the church. That the church is a body comprised of many parts. You see, so often we wrongly think of the church as a few parts. What do I mean by that? Well, we think about the church as maybe Sunday school. Or Sunday service and we think about maybe the pastor or the worship leaders or the elders of the church or maybe even some of the ministry team leaders within our church but in reality the church is so much more than just these small leadership roles. The church is every single one of you that comprises this place and helps make the DNA of who we are. You see, one of the tragedies within church is is that we have so often made church a consumer experience. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that we oftentimes make church transactional. We make it like going to the movies where you pay for your ticket stub, you come sit down, you enjoy the show, and then you leave. But in reality, God's church was never meant to look like that. The reason why I believe that Paul goes into the many gifts here is because he wants people to see that each and every single member of the church has a gift. Reading that list that we just looked at from verses 4 all the way through verse 8, I want to ask you a question. What is the gift that you have that God has given you? Do you have a gift to show people mercy? Do you have a gift to teach? Do you have a gift to proclaim God's truth? Do you have a gift to be able to lead others or to give generously by the the means through which God has blessed you with? Whatever it is, God wants you to be able to use the gifts that you have within this body. Amen? You see, we are one body together. Now, there are some good things about that, but there's also some challenges too. Because here's the thing, we all know that In order for us to have a good and healthy life, we need our whole body to be healthy, right? If we have strong lungs and strong muscles but a weak heart, are we healthy? In the same way, if we have a strong heart and a strong body but a weak mind, are we healthy? And you can, you can go on and on in illustrating the point here, but the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is, is that if you are not engaged within the community, then the community suffers. Because if you are a part of the body of this church and yet are withholding yourself from that community, then the whole body suffers. I have this strong belief that one of the beautiful things that the Lord tells us in Scripture, straight out of the book of Genesis, is that we are created in whose image? In the image of God. Which, if we take the logical next step in understanding that we are created in God's image, then it would be safe to say or to assume that that each and every single one of us, at our best, represents who? The person of God. So that means that you, as an individual, whether man or woman, represent, in many ways, a slice and a picture of who God is, when we are at our best. Which means that when we come together as people we in many ways get to better see the image of who God is. You see, if all you get to see is Pastor Kevin or Lydia or Barb or one of the many other leaders that we have within this church, then you are seeing a very slim picture of who God is through us. But the more that we get to live in community with each other, the more that we get to interact in each other's lives and to see the gifts and the personalities on display, the better I believe that we get to view the personhood of God through his people. And I believe that that is one of the reasons why God uses his church to bring hope into this world. That we are to bring the message of Jesus Christ through the church to the world. Because I believe that God wants his church to be able to stand apart as his image onto the world of what it looks like to be a people of God. You know, one of the things that was immediately fractured when Adam and Eve sinned, if you think about it, was what? Community. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, they were in perfect community. Community with who? With each other, between Adam and Eve. God making Adam with a sense of need in his life for a woman, for a wife. And they were in community with each other, but they weren't just in community with each other, but they were in community with God. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they broke that community. And I believe that in many ways, many of the issues that we deal with, even up in, today, in today's day, is issues of community. See, I believe that community is so important to the heart of God because God himself lives in community. Think about it. There's no other faith like our faith where our belief in God is a belief in a Godhead and a God that lives in community within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, community is so important to God because God also lives in community with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And make no mistake that even Jesus desired to live in community. That even in the most difficult moments of his life, what would he do? For instance, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus do in that moment? He invited his community to come and pray with him, to bear those burdens with him. You see, church, we need each other. God made it that way. And if, for any, and if any one of you thinks that you can soldier along in life alone, then you're deceiving yourself and you're not allowing the blessings of community to fully change and transform the way that you live. You see, I believe that we are to devote ourselves to one another. It's why we've taken the time as a church to develop this idea of connecting. Connecting as a discipleship value here in this place. Because we believe that we need to devote ourselves to one another. It's why that is a part of the mission of what it now means to be at Peace Mennonite Community Church. That we are as a church body to care for each other. Because I believe that as a church we have the opportunity as a community to pray for one another to keep each other accountable, to learn from each other, to share in each other's victories, and also to share in each other's burdens, to encourage each other, to correct each other, and to have good times with each other. Amen? Now, I want you to reconsider what it means to be a church. Not because I think that you've done this poorly, but because at times in life we need to be reminded of the things that God has not just called us away from, but what God has called us for. And I believe that God has called us to and for community. You see, I have a firm belief that each and every single one of you has been given a gift by God that needs to be shared with others. Amen. Don't hold on to that gift selfishly, but devote yourself to others in order to care for one another through the giving of that gift. You see, when you come into this place, you help our body, you help this church function, When you devote yourself to the people in this place, not just the building, you help the community that exists here. We need you here because through you we get to be blessed by you because God has given you gifts, he's given you passions, he's equipped you to be able to do things that only you can do through the grace of God given to you. And one of the tragic experiences of my own life is seeing so many people depart from that commission and that duty. And maybe we did it to ourselves. Maybe we did it to ourselves when we decided that church should entertain us. That church should just be about how much fun we have or facing outward just in this way versus inward into each other. One of the most profound experiences that I ever had at a church was in fact on a day where the pastor decided to take away every single chair from the sanctuary. You can imagine how confused people were when they saw nothing but carpet rugs in the sanctuary. And he made the point that day that for that service, we were going to look at who was beside us versus just who was on the stage. And I think even though it's a wonderful thing that I have a job where I get to preach and communicate God's word, I think there's a lesson there that needs to be learned, that we need to look at those around us, amen, that we need to see the lives of the people that are here. And I'm so proud that so many of you take that seriously, that you commit those in prayer that are in our church who are in need. I think fondly now of recent experiences of people just praying for Fran or us trying to pray and uplift Hannah and Eli as they process some pain right now. But the truth is, is that all of us within this place need to be encouraged. Not just in our lows, but also in our highs. God wants his church to be in community. There is not a single letter within the scriptures that was not intended to be read to a community of people. So know this, community is good for you but it is also healthy and essential for our discipleship journey. A part of the reason why we have on the screen this discipleship wheel showcasing all the different discipleship values that we have in this church, and Adam, if you don't mind putting that back up on the screen there, of this concept of worship and connecting and serving and giving is because we strongly believe that if you want to not just be a Christian, but thrive within your faith, thrive within your discipleship journey, then that you need to be taking each one of those values to heart and exercising those values to the best of your ability. And I know that looks different for many of us. I know for some of us, We might have more time. We might be in a situation where we are retired and maybe that affords us more time, but maybe we also don't have the young bones that people my age have. And maybe for other ones of us where we're running around trying to wrangle our kids as best as we can, it feels like we have the energy, though just barely with the little ones, but maybe we don't always have the time. Wherever you're at, I want to encourage you to allow these values to be a regular rhythm of your life. Your faith is more than a Sunday experience. Your faith is not just about what it can give to you. But it's also about how we can give to others in community. It's why I believe that Christ allows us, after we are saved, to continue to live on this earth. Because he wants us to be able to reflect to others his glory through us. So I believe that those of you that take seriously these values will thrive in your faith. If you want to see yourself grow in life, instead of maybe just focusing inwardly on yourself, consider the community that God has given you. There are people here in this room who need you in their life, who need to hear from you in their life, who need to experience the gifts that you have, which is why next week we'll be talking more about what it means to serve because we serve each other through the gifts that we have. I want to remind you of a quote uh, from Howard Hendricks. I've been quoting him a lot lately, because I think what he has to say is just so punchy and good. When he was thinking about relationships and the need for community, he wrote these words. Every disciple needs three types of relationships in his life. And I want you to look at this closely because I believe that this quote here is a good first way first step or application as we've heard this message today. So he writes that every disciple needs three types of relationship in their life. He needs a Paul who can mentor him and challenge him. He needs a Barnabas who can come alongside and encourage him. And he needs a Timothy, someone that he can pour his life into. I want you to ask yourself this hard question. Do you have any of those kinds of relationships in your life? Do you have a relationship where somebody's like a Paul? Someone's above you, mentoring you, pouring into you, helping challenge you and consider new thoughts and maybe even challenging some of the habits that you have. Do you have someone that's beside you? Someone that's just spurring you on as they're journeying in the same phase of life? Do you have somebody that, in some ways, is below you? Not below you in personhood or in forms of equality, but below you in that they are younger in their faith. Maybe they haven't figured out some of the hard lessons that you've already learned for yourself. I mean, if we are honest with ourselves, right? Don't we all wish that we could go back in time and teach that younger, sillier version of ourselves some of the lessons that we had to learn the hard way? I think about that even within my 30s right now. Boy, if I can grab that 25-year-old version of myself and shake him a little bit and give him a couple of ideas, I wish I can do that. I'd also wish I could tell him to invest in Tesla and Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) But we all have that moment right there are people that are younger in their faith that need to learn some of the lessons that you've already learned and I'd like to further add that in looking at this quote in looking at this concept of someone below beside and, uh, or, or above uh, beside and below I want to point out that in reality this is not an age thing In fact, there have been times in my life where I've mentored people that are well above my age. I've also experienced people that are older than me that I feel like we've been in a side-by-side journey together. We all need to find somebody who has mastered the areas in life that we are weak in. That is that are going through the situations in life that we are going through, that can encourage us and relate to us in those struggles, as well as those that are coming behind us, that are learning the lessons that maybe we've already learned and that we can hopefully encourage them to not make the same mistakes that we have. You see, those are the types of things that community does. And unless you are intentional with your time in trying to Engage with other people. How could you ever experience those blessings? You can only experience those blessings by making yourself vulnerable enough to engage with a community. Sharing one more thought, I want to encourage you that if you are coming to Peace Mennonite Community Church, that you are doing your best to try to be in community. We're going to keep bugging you about it. Because this is a part of our values now. We're going to bug you that you need to worship the Lord daily. Yes, that's Sundays as well. And connecting with each other, yes, that's Sundays as well. But it also means being intentional throughout the week. That you start to learn some of the names here of other people. That you start to allow some of those people to be in your life. Maybe for you, it's going to the Douglas once a week Bible study on Wednesday nights. Maybe for others of you, it's joining the women's group that happens. Maybe for somebody else, it's maybe just even signing yourself up for one of the service opportunities that we have here and just enjoying the fellowship that happens in those moments. But make no mistake, whatever it is, the Lord desires for you to live in community with each other. So my encouragement for you this week is to take some time this week developing this value of community. Maybe you can consider this quote and ask yourself once again, is there somebody above me? Is there somebody beside me? Is there somebody below me? And if you're missing in one of those areas, try to find somebody this week that you can connect with on that level. It could just be as simple as texting somebody and saying, hey brother, hey sister, I was thinking of you today. How's it going? How could I pray for you today? Or it could mean giving somebody a call and saying a similar thing. Hey, I was just thinking about you today. How's it going? Or perhaps you can invite somebody after church to lunch or during this week to coffee. Whatever it is, do something this week to be intentional about being in community with each other. Now, I had shared, I had asked an individual who is here today if they'd be willing to share how community has made an impact on them. But I had planned for that two weeks ago. So Jackie, I don't know if you're prepared and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I wanted Jackie to share because she leads a Bible study that is well attended in her church with her husband, Mike, on why community is important to her. Jackie, would you share that with us?
1: morning um when pastor kevin asked me to share about our small group um and he i as he asked me he asked me um to share where that passion came from why why do we think it's important mike and i think that it's important to have a small group and I think that for both Mike and I, our first um, healthy, our first introduction to healthy community was here. Um, as a young couple with a small child, we were struggling in our marriage, and we were um, newly saved. And we came here, and you welcomed us into the church, not only into the church, but into your homes and lives. Your friendship and love showed us what it meant to live a godly life, In sometimes not such a godly world. But then there came a time when we felt a need to um, move on to another church and we did that and it was a much larger church than this church and the teaching was excellent. We were we were learning a lot more about our Bible but we were struggling to fit in and our new pastor told us well you just need to get plugged in. So we started manning the donut table and the welcome table. And we went to teaching um, second grade. We team-teached second grade together. We went to marriage seminars, teaching conferences. Um, We were there every time the door was open. But we still didn't feel connected. We didn't have that community that we had here. And um, so we go on that way for 10 years. And we're still struggling with, you know, we, we like what Pastor Ed is teaching us, but we just don't feel connected here. And um, so we went, we were going on an Israel trip, and we went to this get-to-know-you type of meeting, and we met a new couple who had just joined the church. And the husband's name was Jerry, and he was a seminary-trained teacher who was interested in church planting. And he told us that during that first meeting that he felt that God had... um, brought he and his wife, Denise, to Mike and I for a specific purpose. Um, he wanted to start a small group in our home. And we're thinking, oh, we, we don't even know you. And you want to you start this small group in our home. But over the next couple of months, we met with Jerry and Denise, and we discussed how this was all going to work. We printed out flyers that we kept in our Bibles, and we were handing them out to everyone we saw. And... Um, Within a month or so, our group grew from a handful of people to 20 to 24 regular attenders. And for we had that group for over eight years. And during that time we prayed and we studied God's word together and we ate together. We went to movies together and volunteer events. And um, we were in each other's homes during good and bad times and we just loved each other. Then COVID hit and we couldn't meet anymore. And we started doing some online meetings, but it wasn't the same. And that group slowly disbanded. We, we didn't meet anymore. And that personal connection was what was missing. So during this same time, our daughter Jessica was talking to us about the possibility of coming back to peace and supporting this young pastor, Kevin. And... Um, we agreed, and soon Mike and Pastor Kevin were in talks about um, starting up a new small group. And we were wondering, so how do, we, how do we create that personal connection that went missing during COVID? And what makes a small community group work so well? So my, I have a friend, Carla, who was in the original group that was in our home, and she also, her and her husband, wanted to come to this new group. And we were talking about what, um, what made that first group click. I mean, there were a lot of us meeting, and, and it just really worked. And what we, what we came up with, this is what Carla and I came up with, and it, it echoes exactly what you were saying, Pastor Kevin. God doesn't intend for people to do life alone. He's the one who puts us together in these groups. He knows what pieces are missing, and he'll work to to fit these groups together. We went back to the Book of Acts, and um, what I hadn't thought about before I was looking before I was asked to talk was that these were multicultural people in the Book of Acts. God had brought the Holy Spirit and asked these people that from that were from varying backgrounds to come together, to fellowship and eat together and pray together and live together. And, um, you know, he only does that through his spirit. So our community group, what we decided is that this group that meets isn't just a place where we come to read a chapter of a book and then go home and meet each other again next week. Um, It's much more than that. And as people from varied backgrounds, um, we need each other, both physically and spiritually, to be healthy. When we're together, we encourage one another, we admonish one another, we confess our shortcomings and sins to one another, we forgive one another and accept one another, we help one another and build up each other and encourage one another, along with eating a lot of good food and laughing a lot. Meeting in a home allows us to more easily practice loving each other in this way. We sharpen each other's faith and stir each other up to live out the faith that God's given us. We love our small group, and we look forward to seeing our God-given family each week. The love and encouragement we get each week makes us all better people.